your Bibles this morning, if you would please, to Matthew chapter 7. And we are blessed to open God's Word once again today. I love to read Scripture. I love to read the words of the Savior. And if you're visiting today, I want you to understand that here at Berean, we do respect God's Word. We read from God's Word. We preach from God's Word. We believe it is holy, H-O-L-Y. And we believe that is it is holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, holy, the inspired, infallible Word of God. Now today I want to start reading with verse number 13, and we're going to read down to verse number 20. The subject is verses 15 through 20, which has been our subject for the past several weeks. So if you'd stand with me, please, as we read God's Word in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse number 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or fig figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of your word today. Lord, give us wisdom as we look at this passage one more time again this morning. Lord, help us to preach your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. These past few weeks, we've been in one of the most grueling parts of the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount for over, well over a year now. And we're near the end of the sermon. And in this last part, Jesus contrasts the right way, the way that leads to life, the way that leads to heaven. He contrasts that with the way of destruction, which he calls the broad way. And when he talks about the narrow way, the way that you come into eternal life or the way that you enter there, he says that it's narrow. The word means that it's constricted, that it's very hard to pass through. And when you go through this gate, it strips a person bare of everything that he is in himself. You can't go through this gate with any baggage. You can't go through with any of your sins. You can't go through with your pride. And amazingly, you can't even go through it with your religious works. When you come to this gate, you're stripped naked of everything that you are. And so you come helpless and dejected, realizing that you have miserably failed God with your life. You come with repentance from all of your sins, and you must come with faith in Christ alone. Now, those are just some of the things that it takes to pass through the gate. The gate is very difficult. It's against our nature to completely debase ourselves before God, but that is exactly what the Scripture requires. And so you come with complete dependence upon Christ. You come with willingness for Him to control your life forever. You come with the confession that He is Lord and that He deserves to be glorified with your life, and you admit to Him that you are nothing and He is everything. But there are those that are on the broad path to hell that say that they admit to this, but when you look at their lives, they prove otherwise. You see, the path to hell is a path of least resistance. 
It's not difficult. There are no restrictions there. The way is so wide and so easy and open. There are no guardrails on it. There, there's nothing that can go too far beyond the bounds of self-satisfaction. Now, previously in the sermon, Jesus had explained what God requires. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is mainly for. He, he's facing the scribes and the Pharisees and these people that have been taught all these lies, and he tells them exactly what God requires for them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he brings us down to verses number 13 and 14, and he places every person that he's been talking to, all of you that have heard the sermons, all of you that have read the Sermon on the Mount, he places you in a in a particular place of decision where you are going to have to decide which way that you're going to go. You are either going to go the narrow way or you're going to go the broad way. And the sad truth of the matter is that most people choose the broad way. And most people today are on the road to destruction and they're gladly doing so. There are actually only a few that find the way to life in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons that that is true is because of what we read here in verses 15 through 20. The way to heaven is made even more difficult because there are false preachers that are on the broad way and they have full intention of deceiving you. Even a person that's honestly seeking and they're trying to find out how can I go to heaven, there are churches and there are preachers that are standing there with signs and they're saying this is the way to heaven. When in fact, they are really masking the broad path to hell. And so verses 15 through 20 are grueling for real ministers of Christ because they place us in, a, in, a, in, a, in an area of unpopularity. I mean, we have to expose these false teachers and many of them have endeared themselves to the people. People are following them, they like them. And so what we have to do as true preachers of the gospel of Christ, we have to swim upstream. There's a heavy current of popular opinion that is against us. We're ridiculed as being intolerant, we're difficult, we're narrow, we're bigoted. And there are a thousand other adjectives that are used and all of them would never make you believe that we are even Christians ourselves. Now, I don't stand today preaching against something that's taking place across the Atlantic or across the Pacific. It happens there, it's taking place there. But we're not distanced from this by long distances. Folks, this happens right around us. It's right here in the area where we are. I'm not speaking to you about something happening in Washington, D.C., and you may not like the president, you may not like Congress, you may not like any of that. I'm not preaching against what they're doing. I'm not preaching against what goes on in Sacramento or any of that. But what makes it so difficult, what I'm doing today and so unnerving, is that we preach against those who claim to be Christians and they're right here among us. They're right here in the area in which we're serving the Lord. They're in our neighborhoods. They're on Snyder. They're, they're uh, all over Ronard Park and through Santa Rosa and throughout our county and, of course, spreading all over the world. Now, have you noticed this? Perhaps that I don't have a lot of Christian pastor friends in town I don't belong to the ministerial association. I don't go to their prayer breakfast. And that's because there is a dividing, separating factor between us. And most of you hold it on your lap today. It's called the Word of God. And when we teach the Word of God, it's not popular with people. People in the community don't like it. We're not going to win very many friends. And so that attitude is considered to be unchristian by most and the reason that it is is because Christianity has been redefined 
to be the doctrines and the teachings of the broad way rather than the exclusivity of what we find in Scripture, which is the narrow way. The Bible is the narrow way. And that's why you find very, very little Bible teaching today. It's not on the broad way because they're all saying the Bible is outmoded. The Bible is outdated. The Bible is useless in the modern world. And so here we are, we're teaching unpopular doctrines, and yet we can't stop doing that because we don't want to end up like the people down in verse number 21. There it says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so I find myself issuing the very same warnings as Jesus, and I can do no less because that is what the Holy Spirit has directed me to do. Now, thank God I'm not the only one in the country that does this. There are other preachers that do stand for the truth. They will sound an alarm. But true preachers of the gospel of Christ that really preach the word, that have a testimony of sticking by the Bible, are hard to find. And we know that because we stay in contact with people that have left here and taken jobs in another part of the country, and they talk about how difficult it is for them to find a church that actually preaches the truth of God's word any longer. And you know why that is? Verse 14 tells us, Jesus said, Few there be that find it. There are few that find the narrow way. And one of the reasons is, is because there are fewer people that stand behind pulpits today that teach the narrow way. And I don't tell you all of this because I'm trying to toot my horn and say that I'm better than other preachers or anything else, or I have better sense than they do. I'm intellectually superior to anyone because I'm not. Because I was one just like false preachers that was on that road to destruction. I was out there one time too and it took the Holy Spirit of God to open my eyes and to show me the truth so I can tell it to you. And if you are saved, you thank God because that's happened to you. And so here, Jesus gives a warning about false prophets and folks, it is my duty to, the very, to do the very same. And so in finishing up this little mini-series that we've had entitled Appalling Preachers, we come to the fifth and final message. And if this is your first time dropping by today, I apologize that I'm not able to give you the full treatment of what we learned in those first four messages. I can't do that today because people will only tolerate me till up around 12 o'clock or so, or thereabouts. And mostly it's going to be thereabouts because it won't be at 12 o'clock. But I'm going to catch you up just a little bit here in the message. And and this will be a compendium of the former messages on the subject. And then we're going to have a concluding point that will wrap it all up. A few weeks ago when we started this, the very first thing that we found out about appalling preachers, about those who teach false doctrine, is that a false prophet is dangerous. A false prophet is dangerous because he claims to speak for God. Now he does mostly what I'm doing today. He stands on a platform. He wears a suit and tie, although that might be replaced by beach attire or cleaning out the garage clothes. That might be worn. But he he stands and he preaches and he smiles, but he never says that this message is intended to deceive you. And sometimes there's just enough truth there to, to bait the hook a little But in the end, he'll never help you to get off the broad way and he'll never help you to get on to the right way. He's dangerous because what he does, he traffics with your soul. Now, he actually does exactly what I'm doing. His business is the souls of men, just like mine. But he's dangerous 
because he does not speak the truth. We also learned that a false prophet has a disguise. Jesus called them wolves in sheep's clothing. And even went further than that, he said they are ravening wolves. And we notice about this that Jesus is not very nice about it. He's not nice about false teachers because he knows, and we should know, that dying and going to hell is not very nice. So the disguise also speaks of the danger because it puts that person easily among true believers and they look to him as a real shepherd of God when in fact he's not. We also learned that a false prophet, an appalling preacher, will not disturb you. He's not going to give you a sense that anything is really wrong. You're not going to go out of the services and you'll be anguished about your sins. You won't feel that there's anything that really needs to change. You just need to clean up a few areas. You need to tidy up some crusty corners of your life. And then you'll be okay. But that's not what Jesus demands. The false prophet never speaks about hell or much about hell. In some cases, not at all. He doesn't use the Bible because Scripture, with Scripture comes conviction. God's Word says that the, the Word itself is the instrument that brings faith to the hearers. You have to have the Word of God for people to have faith. But that preacher cares little at all about reading the Bible. And if you go to those churches, you'll notice that there's not much Bible read. And you know what that means? If there is no Bible read, it most likely means that in the congregation, there are few people that are actually the people of God. Because you can't come become a child of God unless you hear the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And then a false prophet won't say anything about holiness. Without any conviction of sin, there's not going to be a call to holiness. And so people flock in, and they're like that person that attended one of our local churches that I mentioned, one of the fast-growing churches right here in, or right up in Santa Rosa. And this person said, I like this church because it's not too religious. And I, like, I think that what that means is that she wasn't too disturbed by that funky idea of changing from goth to grace. And that fed right into our fourth point about this, that a false prophet can be detected. Jesus said that false prophets are known by their fruits. So he didn't leave us hopelessly in the dark about how you can determine who they are. If they don't disturb you, if they don't preach the doctrines of God's word, like sin and hell and holiness, if they don't tell you about your need for repentance and faith and full surrender to Christ as Lord then you've got a pretty good sense that you are in the wrong church and you are listening to the wrong preacher. And I might add that if you are a real child of God, you want to hear those things. You do want to hear the truth of God's word. And if you reject those things and you're repulsed by the idea of a bloody, suffering Savior, and you are repulsed by the idea that he died to deliver you from the filth of your sins and from the fires of hell and has delivered you in order that you might surrender to him in holiness then you really aren't a child of God. If you're not interested in that, if that doesn't move you, you're not a child of God. And the next section, starting in verse number 21, folks, is going to be an eye-popper when we get to it because there are a lot of people that are self-deceived about whether they are actually Christians. How do you know that you're in the wrong church? Well, that's what we say. Paul's prophet can be detected. You need to watch out for emotionalism in the church. You need to watch out for those that are always hopping and skipping and jumping up and down because salvation is not how you feel about things. 
Salvation is what you know in your heart. Salvation is believing the objective truth of God's word that's been revealed to you by the Holy Spirit. And so if you've got a preacher that's always trying to lead you onto some emotional high and he tells you that you can determine your spirituality by how you act in that way and that's how you determine the Holy Spirit is in you by jumping, hopping, clapping, running over the chairs and all of that, you need to check it out. Has any of that actually made a difference in your life? And then you also need to watch out for entertainment. Here's a good tip for you. If, you have, if you're in a church that the pulpit, what I'm standing on here, this area, this area has been replaced by a stage, and a guy roams around here preaching what he calls relevant messages, then you might have a false prophet on your hands. You see, preaching has changed. Preaching has changed from substance to style. And so the buzzword today is relevance. You know how many times I've heard preachers or people say, oh, I love that guy's preaching. He is so relevant to today. You know, nobody ever got up in one of Jesus' sermons or one of Paul's sermons and said, could you tweak that just a little bit to make that relevant to me? And you know why? It's because preaching on sin and death and hell and holiness and the Savior is always relevant to you. I mean, what could be more relevant than you dying without Jesus Christ and headed straight for the fires of hell? I'd say that's pretty relevant. So the plain truth spoken in God's way is always relevant because the Word of God says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, but preachers say we've got a better way. We've got a different way that we can get the message out. We can dramatize the message dramatize it. A few years ago, Mel Gibson, who is a reprobate Roman Catholic, made a movie of the Passion of the Christ, and the whole evangelical world jumped on the bandwagon, and there were churches that sold out blocks of tickets in the theaters, and they all flocked in to watch the movie, and they said, this is the greatest evangelistic tool that the world has ever seen. Preachers say, well, we've got a new way to do this now. We'll just dramatize the message. We've got movies that we can put out. We've got all these things you can come and see. That preaching and stuff, that what that guy's doing up there, that's outdated, that's outmoded. We don't need any of that anymore. Here's what Paul said about it, 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. In 1 Corinthians 1.21, he said, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. In the 23rd verse, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. Now that's an interesting statement there. People today... Preachers today don't want to offend anybody from the pulpit. They don't want to offend anybody by teaching the gospel and talking about hell and such things like that. But the Apostle Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. And to people, that is a stumbling block. The Greeks call that foolishness. Verse 25, he said, but the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. In the third chapter, verse 19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. So you watch out for a preacher that says, We don't need that kind of preaching anymore. We need a new way to get the message out. Preaching is passe. We've got a better way. 
Folks, if your church has replaced the pulpit with a stage and a rock band and a Hawaiian shirt and a drama presentation and everybody hoops it up to high heaven, then you've got a really good tip-off that something is wrong in Churchville. So I'm not preaching here in, in favor of powdered wigs and high collars and Victorian straight lace. That's not my purpose. I'm preaching against the gospel as a show and the church service as a production. So we find that the same gospel presented in simplicity by a preacher who expounds the word of God chapter by chapter, verse by verse, that's where you need to be. That is the gospel that saves. And folks, it is also the gospel by which we grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you tell when you've got it and when you've been taught properly because it makes a radical difference in your life. Well, there was one other telltale sign that I gave you last time. Watch out for corruption. Watch out for greed and gimmicks. First time that you hear this next verse taken out of context, put on your running shoes and take off the other way. Luke 6, 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. That's one of the favorite verses of the health, wealth, and prosperity preachers. And their interpretation of this, send in your money, and we promise that God will bless you tenfold, God will bless you a hundredfold, you'll get what you sent and more back besides. And then they flash a gold tooth and a Rolex and their custom-made Armani suits. And if you don't get it, if you don't get back what you've invested with them, they say send in some more and have a little bit more faith this time. And the failure is always your lack of faith. The failure has nothing to do with the false gospel that they're preaching or a false promise that they give. Folks, I want to tell you something. Anytime that a preacher focuses on materialism and he focuses on your financial success, that person is a false prophet. God never saved anybody. He never saved anybody or put anybody on earth for any other purpose than to bring glory to him. And the moment that the focus switches to you and to your self-esteem and to your riches and to what you are, when it for, the focus switches to your fortune and even your faith, you need to watch out because you've got a false prophet on your hands. And you heard me right on the last part, even your faith, even that ability to choose Christ, like some people think choosing ice cream flavors, that's a false prophet. Arthur Pink, a great man of God, wrote, Certain it is, my reader, that any preacher who rejects God's law, who denies repentance to be a condition of salvation, who assures the Gideon godless that they are loved by God, who declares that saving faith is nothing more than an act of will which every person has the power to perform, is a false prophet and should be shunned like the deadly plague. We have a dependence upon the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us. And that's the only way that we're going to get it. Well, that brings me to the conclusion. And and don't put things away. I'm not done. I'm just getting to the fifth point right now. So if you've been waiting for point five after all these weeks and all this time, here it is. Point number five. A false prophet is doomed. He's dangerous. He's in a disguise. He never disturbs anyone. He can be detected. And folks, he is doomed. Verse number 19. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
Now turn your Bibles, if you would please, to Second Peter chapter 2. We read these verses a few weeks ago, and at that time I was speaking about the proliferation of false prophets, and I was speaking of their success in gaining followers, and I told you then that there's another thread that we needed to discuss, and we would talk about it later. Well, now we've come to it. Second Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now go down to verse 3. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. In the next verses, Peter goes on to make some comparisons about God's judgment. He says that God did not spare the angels that sinned. And some angels are fallen angels. That's why we have Satan. That's why we have demons. Those are fallen angels. And Peter says in verse number 4 that God has reserved them for judgment. In verse number 5, he speaks of Noah. And he says the people in Noah's time perished in the flood. And only Noah and his family were saved. So all unbelievers perished in the flood. Verse number 6, he speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah. And God destroyed those cities by reducing them to, to ashes. And we can let that be a lesson to those who say that lifestyles don't matter. And then Peter goes on to speak of how God delivers the godly out of temptations. But then in verse number 10, he returns to this description of false prophets. And look at verse number 12. He says, but these as natural brute beasts made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of things that they understand not, and shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And if you go on, you'll find that these false prophets promise people liberty. What does that mean? What what does he mean by liberty? Well, it means exactly the same thing as the broad path. And that is where the preacher stands up and he says, don't worry about things. Don't worry about your lifestyles. Don't worry about your sin. Don't get too upset about this thing of godliness and holiness. We're here to concentrate on other things. Let's concentrate on, are you having a good time in church? Let's concentrate on that. Are you moving and grooving to the music? That's what's important. Listen to what John Gill, old Baptist preacher and commentator said about these verses and he said they promised them liberty and what is that liberty he says well it's not christian liberty which lies in a freedom from sin it's dominion guilt and condemnation and in serving god with liberty cheerfulness and without fear but a sinful carnal liberty a liberty from the law of god from obedience to its to it as a rule of walk and conversation a liberty which is contrary to the nature will and work of christ to his spirit and to the principle of grace in the heart and to the gospel and to the conduct and conversation of real saints that's the kind of liberty that you get from a false teacher not the conduct of a true christian So what happens to the false prophets? Well, the Bible says they perish in their own corruption. What they preach condemns them to hell. Now, do you notice in this that Peter warned you not to follow them? Because he says, if you do, then you're going to go to the same place where they're going. 
But the most scathing words that he has in 2 Peter 2 actually have to be are, are for the guy who led people there. The guy who leads them into hell. He's the one that receives the greater condemnation. And James, in James chapter 3 verse 1, states it this way. My brethren, be not many masters, teachers, preachers, so on, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. And there James is talking about Christians. He says, if you want to be a preacher, if you want to be someone who teaches the word of God, you need to be aware that there is greater scrutiny on you. And you better be sure that you're preaching the truth because you are going to stand in judgment before God for what you teach and you will receive a greater condemnation. Now, if that's true for the true preachers of the gospel of Christ, what do you think it is for the false ones? It's far worse for him. I mean, if that guy stands up there and he blocks the way to eternal life and he keeps people from actually believing the truth of God's word, which is what they're doing, what do you think his condemnation will be? By their fruits ye shall know them, Jesus says. And if their fruits are corrupt, if it's not the true gospel of Christ, if it's a, not a life that's a full surrender to the Lord and Master, he says they will be cut down and cast into the fires of hell. Now, I want us to look at two very important concluding matters, and neither of these is good for you. If you haven't got these five messages into your heart and really understand this, this is not good for you. Now, I, I don't know if it's going to make sense to you, but a false prophet is negatively positive. And that's the first truth I want you to get here for just a moment. A false prophet is negatively positive. Well, how is that possible? It's because God uses him. God uses this appalling preacher, this false prophet, to separate the wheat from the chaff. Now, what does that mean? Well, in Bible times, it was very difficult to separate wheat from chaff. The wheat is the kernel that gets ground down into the flour, and the chaff is the remaining part of the husk. And you don't want to get the chaff mixed in with the wheat. You want the pure wheat to be ground into the flour. And so you have to separate all of that out. Now, there's a great point that's made on this by Arthur Pink in his book on the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you would. 1 Corinthians 11. You know, every now and then I get a good thought. But don't think that every thought that I get is original with me. Because if it is, if everything that I say to you is new and original, then you've got a false prophet on your hands. So it's not new and original. But Paul makes a very interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper. Now in the Corinthian church, this is who he's writing to, there was a lot of division. Paul addressed that in the first part of the letter. He said that you are divided over things. Some say that you are of Paul. Some say you are of Cephas, that's Peter. Some say you are of Apollos, some of Christ. So they were divided over preachers. They were divided over personalities. And even when they came together for communion, there was division among them. There was some really bad stuff that was going on. And so Paul is teaching on the Lord's Supper and those divisions. Look at verse 18. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. It means there, when you come together to take the Lord's Supper, there are people among you that are holding on to some very bad doctrine. Now listen to the next verse. For there must also be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Well, that is a strange statement, isn't it? There must be heresies among you. Now, where do those heresies come from? Well, it comes from people that are teaching the wrong doctrine. 
And do you know what happens when people teach the wrong doctrine? They get followers. There's always a following, isn't there? And if a false prophet teaches a false doctrine and he gets no following, then he just switches it up a little bit. He changes the bait. He makes it so he will get a following. So a false prophet, a heretic, gets a following behind him. And when he finds the bait that works, when a false prophet finally gets the bait that works, who does he catch? He catches other heretics, doesn't he? He catches people that don't know the truth and don't believe the truth. So Paul says that a false prophet will divide true believers from false ones. That's the wheat being divided from the chaff. Now notice something John says in 1 John 2.19. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Now I promise you, if we keep preaching the truth from this pulpit, if we don't relent from God's word, if we keep on pounding repentance from sin, if we keep telling people there is a hell for the impenitent, if we tell people that the only way that you can ever get to heaven is through Jesus Christ and trusting him and his blood, and that God requires holiness, and that salvation is not complete until you have surrendered your entire life to him and forsaking family and friends, if we haven't told them that it means a life of suffering instead of luxurious comforts and your best life now, If we keep teaching that truth, then what will happen to the heretics? Well, they won't stay, will they? They go and they find a false prophet who denies everything I've just said. And so they go and they find a church that will entertain them. They find one that makes no demands upon them, one that will not interfere with their lifestyles. And you see what God has just done? God has helped us out. Because what he did was turn something negative into a positive for true believers. What a strange statement this is. There must be heresies. Why? So we can find out who are the wheat and who are the chaff. Who would have thunk that? Now that's the negative. It turns into a positive. And it's hard to wish that this would come. But do you know that a false prophet could actually help our church divide those that, or take away those that are divisive and those that are gossips in the church? False prophet may just help lead them out of here. Now, what I don't want you to do is go home and pray that God will give us more false prophets. We let that stay in God's timing. We let God work all that out according to his secret will. I don't want to know about that part of it. Well, here's another scripture that's quite puzzling to some. Let me read this one to you, and you have it on your listening sheet. You can refer to it later. We'll get it on the screen here. But this is a frightening one because this is a scripture that's talking about the last days. Now, people wonder... What does the Bible mean when it talks about the last days? Well, the last days actually extend from the time that Christ arose from the dead all the way to today, all the way until Christ comes back again. All of that time period is called the last days. But we could be living in the very, very, very last days. And I say that, folks, because of what's happening now. God has ordained false prophets, false prophets for his purposes. Now that that might be hard for you to figure out, but if you ever think that things happen outside of God's control, and they happen without God's eternal purpose in mind, then you need to go back and you need to read the Bible where it says things like God ordained the betrayal of Christ, and God ordained the people that did it. You find that in Acts 1, 15 through 20, and also in Acts 2, 23. Listen to this scripture. This is the last days. 2 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. And for this cause, 
God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now what God does then, he takes the false prophet and he confirms those that are unbelievers and he judges them accordingly. Now that's a sobering thought, isn't it? I mean, you thought that you could just wander around aimlessly and do what you want and it has no consequences? And you think everything in the end is going to turn out all right? There are people in churches today that are following false prophets because God doesn't want them in here. He wants them to stay out there. That is a sobering thought that a false prophet is out there distinguishing between true and false believers. Now the warning in verses 13 and 14 is that you had better get off of the broad path. You had better diligently search for the right way. And friends, if you have never been seriously disturbed by the preaching that you hear in church and the friends around you that hear it, they're not seriously disturbed, then you're in the wrong church. But if what you hear makes the old carnal nature mad and you rise up against that, then you know that you're in the right place. You know what happened when Paul preached to Felix? The scripture says, and he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and and judgment to come. And it says, Felix trembled. Now fear and trembling have not come to you because of your sins and the place that you're headed. If you're comfortable out there on the broad way, then a false prophet just might have been sent to you to separate you from God's people. That is a frightening thought. Well, finally, if you can't wrap your head around that point, then get this one instead, because it goes to the same place. An appalling preacher, a false prophet, takes a lot of people with him. Now, Peter's scathing words are about false doctrines and prophets, and then he also says, many shall follow their pernicious ways. A false prophet does not go to hell alone. You see, God doesn't just pluck him off the broad path and throw him into hell. He takes everybody that's following him as well, everyone who believes what he says. The false prophet takes all of his followers with him. Now, in closing today, I want you to turn one more place. That's to the book of Jeremiah, chapter 23. Jeremiah was God's true prophet, and he stood against everybody out there on the broad way. And and the thing about Jeremiah is he preached for 40 years. He preached 40 years the narrow way, God's way, and he never did convince anybody to go the right way. For 40 years he preached. Now I want you to take some time to look at the entire 23rd chapter of Jeremiah. We're going to read uh, verse 15 and a few verses after that and skip down to some others. So don't accuse me of taking this out of context. That's why I'm telling you, you go home and you read it and you you decide for yourself what it says. But look at uh, verse 15, Jeremiah 23. Therefore... Thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. Now there's judgment on false prophets. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They say still unto them that despise me, the Lord hath said, ye shall have peace. And they say to everyone that walketh after the imagination of his own heart, no evil shall come upon you. For who hath stood in the counsel of the Lord and hath perceived and heard his word? Who hath marked his word and heard it? Behold, a whirlwind 
of the Lord is gone forth in fury, even a grievous whirlwind. It shall fall grievously upon the head of the wicked. Go down to verse number 39. Therefore, behold, I, even I, will utterly forget you, and I will forsake you and the city that I gave, and gave you and your fathers, and cast you out of my presence. And I will bring an everlasting reproach upon you and a perpetual shame which shall not be forgotten. So no, the false prophet doesn't go alone. God holds you accountable for following them. And friend, do you know if you leave here today and you don't heed the warning that has been given that you will be or end up your own worst enemy? You'll never be able to say, nobody told me about that. Nobody told me and warned me about this. And so you're going to stand in judgment and you're going to answer for why you stayed on the broad way when somebody told you that you're going the wrong way. And so in five messages, I've been holding up a true sign that says this is the way to heaven. This is what God wants. It's what he expects. This is what he, we draw from his word. And he wants you to go away detouring off of that broad path because God is going to hold you accountable if you don't. He's going to hold you accountable for the greatest sin that you could ever commit and that is rejecting Jesus Christ. And I sincerely hope that you are not following a false preacher who is doing nothing more than confirming your love of the broad way. God help you with that because you've been warned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the series of messages that we've been able to preach from your word. And Lord, we've tried to break down the scripture as best as we could with the direction of the Holy Spirit and trying to understand and we've given warnings week after week after week of what people should look out for in churches that have rejected the gospel of Christ, that have a different picture of who Jesus is, who just have a different idea about what it means to serve you. And we see so much sin in churches. We see no change in people's lives. We don't see any holiness that's being practiced in those who claim to be the people of God. And I pray, Lord, you'd open up people's eyes so they'd understand there is a right way. The way that we want to go that seems right to us is not the right way. Only you can define it for us, and it's found right here in your precious, infallible, holy word. Lord, speak to hearts today. May they understand that Jesus is the only way that anybody will ever go to heaven. Faith in his blood, trust in him only, that Jesus is God of God very God of gods. And Lord, we just pray that you would speak to people, speak to their hearts, open their eyes to the truth today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.